Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine here. So what are three things that social work and construction have in common? Hmm. One, we both hold space for digging deep and doing the hard work. Two, we both have humans who are struggling in our industry with very human experiences. And three, social workers are needed in both of these spaces. So this episode, we're mixing it up, and our guest is actually not a social worker. Our guest, Adam Reed, is an experienced multifamily construction superintendent who manages 50 to $80 million projects. That sounds like a lot to me. (laughs) He's passionate about developing workforce environments that helps the whole person show up each day. And this is really where I started to see Adam being set apart from other construction individuals that I have met is that he states that he collaborates with experts in trauma, educational neuroscience, and child development to go back to the fundamentals of productivity. He's passionate about creating pathways to social justice. Now, Adam and I started talking on LinkedIn, and when I saw his profile and he's mentioning social justice, experts in trauma, neuroscience, I'm thinking, what the heck? This is not your typical construction worker. So that's why I was so grateful and excited to have him on the podcast because he really gives us an outsider's look into the value that we bring to all industries as social workers. It doesn't just stop with construction or real estate, but these are really human experiences that social workers are needed to help with. And during the recording, he mentioned a statistic, which embarrassingly, I had no idea. But of course, you know, I had to look it up. I had to validate some facts. So did you know that men working in construction have one of the highest suicide rates compared to other industries? Y'all, I had no idea. The suicide rate is about four times higher than the general population. That just breaks my heart. So the study contributes work-related stress, such as uncertainty of seasonal work, demanding schedules, and workplace injuries that are sometimes treated with opioids. These things can have severe impacts on mental health and without proper support may even lead to substance abuse and yes, even suicide. So with that said, your 
skills as a social worker are needed in literally every industry. I am convinced there is not an industry that we could not be utilized in because our skills are so human focused. I mean, even veterinarians have social workers in their office. So you don't even have to really work with humans. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But we're needed in every industry and our conversations with some amazing social workers have really shown that your skills are literally saving lives. Never limit yourself. Never let others define what you can or cannot do. The possibilities for you are completely endless. I promise you. So let's listen to this ad by our sponsor, The Rise Directory, and then hop right into the conversation with Adam Reed. This episode is proudly brought to you by the RISE Directory, a national directory of clinical supervisors who are dedicated to helping the next generation of clinical social workers grow in their clinical skills. The link is in the show notes. Check it out and tell every clinical supervisor you know about this directory. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. We are here with Adam Reed. Welcome to the podcast, Adam. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I am very excited to talk with you, Catherine. Thanks for inviting me. Of course, of course. So tell us a little bit about what you do. And yeah, we'll go from there. What do you do? I, as you know, am not a social worker. (laughs) So I feel. very privileged to be on your podcast. Um, I'm a multifamily construction superintendent working for an organization called the Bazuto Group. Um, It's a community of six companies under one umbrella that is actively involved in what we call creating sanctuary for the residents where we manage properties and for our future residents where we that we build for. We are based out of Greenbelt, Maryland and I work out of Pennsylvania office in the construction division. Nice. Thank you for that. And we, we started talking because I, we connected on LinkedIn and Mm -hmm. I think it was after you saw a post about an NASW California conference that I was part of. And you and I just started talking about how social workers have these skills that are needed in all of these different spaces and areas. And to be honest, Adam, you were like a breath of fresh air. (laughs) (laughs) because we as social workers, we know this. I mean, hopefully, hopefully listeners, you know this, Um, but it's hard to communicate our values sometimes to outside industry. So when we started Mm -hmm. talking and you're like, yeah, I see all this need for social workers. I was like, wow, that's cool. Let's, let's definitely dive into this and have a conversation. Absolutely. So where First, I'm curious, you know, because you're in the construction business. Is that right? Construction? I am. I've been in construction for about 28 years. Okay. So where did this interest in getting social workers involved into like the community development type of work or design, where did that come from? Because they seem like really two, two different fields, you know, on the outside. So they're 
they are on the outside. Um, I will go back and, and explain a little bit more about what I do on the construction site and a little bit more about my personal history, if that's okay to sort of kind of set the, the, the stage, if you will. Yes, please. Um, my job is to help manage the ground up construction of uh, apartment complexes for mo mostly apartment complexes. I am uh, currently on a project where we're building a senior living facility, working with a team of uh, amazing professionals who are truly dedicated to the relentless pursuit of quality construction. Like corporate and community social work, we are constantly tasked with helping to coordinate the efforts of the community of stakeholders, whether it be engineers or owners or subcontractors, what have you. In this case, our construction projects involve coordinating the efforts of 30 to 40 subcontractors, different companies that we work with, the subcontractors and vendors over the course of about two years. And it's a daily journey from a piece of land to final turnover where we build communities. Um, we, it's a daily journey into the trenches of logistics and time-sensitive task completion. And it would be impossible to do what we do without having some understanding of how people work and how we can help them be successful. Um, Bizzuto as a company uh, is to, agree, to a degree kind of doing our own form of macro social work and creating communities that make an impact on the lives of those we have the privilege of serving. So what, as, as I go through my, my daily tasks and I interact with people all day long, um, I find myself constantly going back to some of the things that I've learned from social workers that have been very important to me in my life, and as well as some other industries that I've been tracking over the years. Um, a little on the personal background, uh, my journey uh, has to do with looking for ways to create a different world than the one I grew up in, where my dad's form of leadership was characterized by uh, kind of your traditional authoritarian patriarchy. It was, um, it's taken a lot of years to unpack what happened um, because I don't remember a whole lot of what, of my childhood, but it, uh, what I can say now is that it probably had a lot to do with psychological abuse under the banner of religious fervor. And it included a brand of, I guess a brand of misogyny to some degree that assumed that men were superior to women. And that, it took me a lot of years to realize that that was an extremely toxic environment. And it, um, I think one of the dip most difficult parts was that I didn't know it was happening until I was pretty much grown up. And I look back and I feel like there was nothing that I could do to stop it from happening. It, it's, that, it's almost like the, the fight or flight response was suppressed and locked up in a way that didn't allow me to engage in any form of action. So I guess in my late 40s, um, I'm trying to find a way of maybe balancing the scales um, and creating that environment where I feel like I can create a world that was better than the one I, I grew up in. Yeah, that's a powerful so, story. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's been hard for me to unpack that over the years, because when you don't have, I really like the, the book um, by Bessel van der Kolk, 
the body keeps the score. Because what I realized along this journey was that really your body knows what's happening before your mind does. And even though you don't have memories of what happened, there's sort of like forensic evidence, if you will, to say there's something happened that was very wrong. And um, because there, what I'm feeling and what I'm experiencing doesn't appear to be normal. Um, so that to a large degree, um, that sort of set me on a journey in my late thirties of trying to rebuild um, from the ground up uh, what, what I, who I was and how I responded to the environment around me. Because even though I didn't, um, I didn't inherit, if you will, that same attitude towards women, I did inherit a lot of the, those, those flash anger responses and those, um, I didn't have, it was almost as if I was uh, sort of socially delayed from what happened. And so I spent probably a good last 12 years or so um, looking at different industries, different branches of the sciences that study human behavior to try and find out who I could trust um, for information because it was sort of, you know, like an early form of midlife crisis, so I, I guess, if you will, because what I found in my mid-30s was that much of what I grew up believing didn't work, and so I had to go back and start over. Um, so along the way, we started to have kids, my wife and I. We have five kids now, and... Um, our first, our oldest, who is now 18, is autistic. So that was an amazing journey into the world of developmental psychology and neurodiversity. And it's people like that <clears throat> that um, allowed me to start to rebuild that foundation. And as I continued on that journey, I realized that I had a, a ton of inner work to do. So I started to look at the trauma sector, started to read a lot of books because I still wasn't sure who to trust. Um, I looked at educational neuroscience and other early education professionals that I interacted with. And I started to realize that there's, there's a trend happening here that most of the people that I was starting to trust, that I was able to trust were women. And so that converged with um, sort of this attitude that or this mission, I guess, is to try to balance the scales. And in the last few years, I've gravitated towards, um, really towards the mannerisms, if you will, of the social work community, primarily because of a couple of really important, uh, really influential social workers that I've had the privilege of uh, coming to know. Well, that's an amazing story. And it, I'm sorry that you had to experience that, but it sounds like you have embarked on this journey of personal growth that takes a lot of courage to be <laughs> honest i um <clears throat> when you and i first connected a few weeks back i think i sent you that one canvas slide that people can find on my linkedin profile that has the the huge metal trench box that um what that we use all the time in construction to create that safe space for people to go down into in, into a, a fairly sometimes dark and deep and dangerous place and do some critical work. And I love 
that picture and I love the idea of holding space. And that's really what a connecting point that I have with the social, with the, with social work is that, that holding that space, that really that um, holding the walls back, keeping things from collapsing around people so that they have the, the opportunity to focus on the really important, the, the deep work. Right, exactly. Because it's that deep work that really creates the lasting change. I mean, it's hard. It's, it's not easy to, to go down into the dark trenches and to see what's down there because it's so mm -hmm. easy to just leave it buried and not yeah. uncover it and say, you know, my, my ground is a little bit rocky, but you know, it's fine. I can cope mm -hmm. with this. I can, I can do this rocky, uh, but as opposed to people like you, who you're like, no, there's, there's something not right here. And mm -hmm. we need to dig down and see what's going on on a deeper level. Yeah. So there's, there's two, can I share about the, the, the two social workers that really impacted me? Is that, yeah, is that okay? Please. I'd love to. Um, so there's the first one is someone that I met also on LinkedIn back at around 2015 or so. Her name is Suzette Misrachi. She uh, is from Australia. Um, she did her master's thesis on um, competent and non-disordered adult children of parents with severe mental illness, or what the, the acronym is CANA COPS ME, which you, you folks are probably much more familiar with than anyone in my industry. Um, she's since retired from private practice, but we've had an ongoing conversation for about six or seven years now. We basically hit it off as, as friends, um, and we have been very grounding for each other um, and it's it's one of those one of those very uncommon friendships where she is um, she could be the age of she's somewhere between my age and the age of you know my parents kind of a thing but definitely a, someone who's older who's been through a, a whole lot herself and who has um, you know has a, just an amazing amount of wisdom and her thesis uh, on this, um, it's been downloaded over 25,000 times over the world, uh, throughout the world, mostly in, in North America, but it's been downloaded like, I think in over 60 different countries. Um, but one of the things that has always frustrated me is that Suzette has never had that platform where, you know, crowds of people would come to listen to her. It just didn't, that, that space was never held for her. And so one of the reasons I think that I'm drawn towards trying to close that wealth and that pay gap for social workers is to honor the, the work that she's done. Because, you know, when you put your thesis out there and people can download it for free, you don't get paid for it, right? So, um, and when someone downloads, if it was a book and people were buying, you know, tens of thousands of copies of her book, there would be a different story. Um, so the second person who's had a major influence on my life is a local social worker in LCSW named Aaron Conley. Um, I met Aaron at the first and only trauma, trauma conference I've ever been to here in Philadelphia back in either 27 or 2018. Um, it was kind of a funny story because when I went there and Everybody was introducing themselves. I told them I was from the construction industry. And, and as you can imagine, there's some pretty, pretty 
befuddled faces going, what are you doing here, Adam? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are so out of your out of your element and out of your lane. Like, why are you here? And it really only took me a couple of it only took me a couple of seconds to come up with an answer. And I said, you know, my industry, the construction industry, is probably among the first industries to need to know what you folks know, but the but likely the last ones to ask for it. We are an industry of nearly 90% men, and we don't know how to talk about much other than the tasks in front of us. Yet our industry is among the highest in suicide. So based just since I've been in construction for 20, almost 28 years now, I've spent the majority of that carrying tools. Um, the last you know, decade I've spent more in on the management side, but there's all that inner work that I had to do so much of that was done when I was making repairs, working by myself, tearing apart somebody's house because either you know there was a leak there or I was they wanted to do a remodel or I was fixing something. But while your hands are in your and your body are working, your mind doesn't necessarily, I mean, what you do isn't always that complicated. And if you have other work, other things that are nagging at you, that are that are pulling at you then it's almost like you you get a two for one you get to earn a paycheck and you also try to solve the bigger problems that are going on in your head the trouble with my industry is that it's a great place to go and put your head down and get a paycheck but there are very few people like you can get lost in on the back end trades if you're trying to finish a project and all you're doing is caulking or spackling or painting tiny little nicks or whatever, it, it can really mess with your head. And I've talked to other, other guys that are in the trades at that point. And I've even had um, a few years ago, I had what we call punch out guys, the guys who are doing this work. Um, he, we found out that day that he was suicidal. And so we sat down with him. We called the suicide hotline. We called, you know, we didn't pull 911 and because and, it was, that didn't, the situation didn't require it, but it was one of those situations where this is all about, this is what happens in our industry a lot of times. And so long story short, Erin and I are connected and um, she and I started talking and we've had some great conversations over the years. And she and I created a proposal right, right as the pandemic was started. So this, this proposal never went anywhere, but we called it ATTIRE. Uh, it's an acronym that stands for Active Training in Trauma-Informed Real Estate. And it was designed to start the conversation about mental health, both in construction and really in property management, because you never know. I mean, I don't work in the property management space, but I would imagine that there's so many, you know, as if you're in the property management space and you interact with these clients all the time, how do you know how to manage that? those conversations where, hey, does this person need help? How can I help them when, when their world turns upside down? You know, it's basically, a, it's a sort of like, sort of like mental health first aid. Um, but anyway, those two women are um, incredibly important influences in my life. And yet a lot of times when I've had conversations with them, the difficulty in, in uh, with finances comes up a lot of times and I would just love to be able to 
be a part of creating a, you know, holding a space, if you will, creating a, a, an environment where social workers have the opportunity to close that gap. Hey, it's Catherine here. I hope you're enjoying this episode. We're going to take a quick break to listen to this ad from our sponsor. Yeah, that's a really great idea. What was the, the acronym that you said? It was ATTIRE, A-T-T-I-R-E. And it's a, the proposal is also on my LinkedIn uh, profile. It's, it's, it's there for anybody who wants to take a look at it. But the, the idea behind the name was, you know, when you, when you dress up, you, you have to look the part. There's a lot of curb appeal, what we call curb appeal in, in, in property management in the real estate industry, where you, you need to look smart, you need to act smart, you know, you need to be professional and all that. And, and part of that preparation, that mental preparation is really understanding how to, how to prepare the environment or create that safe space for someone, at least, you know, on a, on a somewhat, on a somewhat sort of blended, blending the line between casual and professional, if you will, because that's what happens in that, in that space is, you know, you, you work with people who live in the building that you work in. Um, so it was something that she and I enjoyed putting together. It's not intended to be therapeutic. It's mainly, you know, what, what I guess you, you folks call psychoeducation. So um, there's, it's just one of those things that I would, I would love to see someone like Aaron be able to do someday. Yeah, that's fascinating because I just got back from a real estate conference because my husband is a realtor. So mm -hmm. he's in that space. And I know like some other family members are in construction. And what you're talking about, I think is reflective of a lot of other industries. I mean, our society, mm -hmm. right? Because right. We, we don't know how to talk about our emotions, our feelings, our traumas, it's not always appropriate. And if we do in spaces, you know, for example, is real estate, you could be, um, you could lose business. It could jeopardize your right. income. If they think, right. oh, you know, that Catherine over there, she's, she's kind of off her rocker a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, there's such, there's still this stigma that affects all of us. And especially those outside of the mental health space, so I really appreciate right. that. And it's interesting because I'm, I'm learning how much of a value my skill set is to realtors because there's so many different issues that come up, such as how do I deal with this, um, this angry client? Because we still, right. need, we still need to keep the rapport, um, but mm -hmm. I have to be honest and I have to have a hard conversation with them. How do I set boundaries with my clients? Because, you know, it's 9 p.m. and they expect me to be answering my phone, you know, but mm -hmm. I, I also want to go to sleep <laughs> and do those self-care things. So it seems like, you know, stress management is highly needed. Um, conflict resolution, problem solving, even connecting with resources. I mean, sometimes clients, um, a, a few times they've suffered some health crises and it's right. like, what, what kind of resources do we have for someone who is going through a real estate transaction? And now they, something drastic has happened. They've lost their independence. What kind of resources yeah. are available for my clients? Cause you know, as as realtors, as humans and people in all industries, we still want to help people. We just don't know how to do that. Um, so mm -hmm. I like 
I enjoy seeing where the social work skills can kind of fit into these different industries. And, um, and I really, I'm going to look that up and I'm going to link, if it's okay with you, I'll link the attire. Sure. Um, Cause I think that that's something that our audience would be really interested in, in hearing um, also too, cause you know, they're people real, real estate, right. they're people, they, they have feelings and emotions and experiences just like you, but it could also be a population that has the ability to pay us, um, you mm-hmm. know, what, what we need to make a living as well. Right. Yeah. You know, what I I love about what I love about your podcasting post, Catherine, is the enormous amount of job titles that social workers can have, especially those with their MSW. You and a couple of others this month uh, during Social Worker Month continue to expand the list of places where your skill set can be extremely strategic. And um, I see, you you know, your industry understands the, the strategic difference between um, top-down logic and bottom-up processes. And there's a lot of people that don't understand that. You're in an industry that in general, you know how to reestablish that human connection in ways that really stabilize people's lives. Um, it's the fundamental ingredient in customer service, really. And what business doesn't need to know more about customer service? Um, it's one of the most foundational aspects of productivity of relational stability. And really it allows people to establish or reestablish that emotional regulation like you were talking about in a way that gives them back control of their own lives. Um, I don't, I mean, talk about a fundamental building block of the business of customer retention, the client retention of um, repeat business. I mean, so much of what you folks do um, is is so important. And I think that the tragedy is that formally social work's only been around a hundred years, whereas like my industry is as old as, as, as humans have needed shelter. You know what I mean? That it's, it goes back several thousand years. It's not that what you know and what you do as an industry is new. It's just only been formalized. And so, so many industries, I believe, aren't trained to look in your direction. They're not trained to say, gosh, I'm going to go build this drawing, build this building. I need to hire an architect, an engineer, and uh, let's see, oh, right, a social worker. But why not? I mean, um, it's, it's just so, it's almost like we've designed our, our commercial spaces in reverse um, and trying to find a way to help reverse that, if you will. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. So a lot of my listeners are new to the field. So they're young, new social workers who are either students or new grads within the past five years or so. You know, it seems like a big um, a big jump or a big leap because they, they know that they have these skill sets that we had just talked about, right? But then how do we communicate that to other people, like say your colleagues who have, haven't heard of social work? Do you have any tips mm-hmm. on how we can communicate our value and how we can insert ourselves into these new spaces? So one of the things, one of the ways that I've learned to be influential as a construction superintendent, it is behind the scenes work. And that's a lot of what social workers do as well. 
Um, what I love about the idea of social workers getting into involved in getting involved in finance and investment is that you don't have to be up in, up in front of anybody to do it. Um, so there's there's two different aspects of finance that I think are important. One is that that personal um, education on how to how to manage your own finances. And then there's the other aspect of doing uh, of finance and social work as you know as more of as macro work, if you will. So what I would what I think is important, it's it's sort of an indirect route, if you will, towards gaining influence. If you can start to generate alternate sources of income, it gives you buying power in ways that you didn't have before. You can become an angel investor in someone else that you think needs to have a startup. You can invest in what they're calling ESG, um, what, uh, ESG investing, which, which stands for environmental, social, and governance, um, where, where companies are really pushing for that mission-oriented, uh, goal-oriented impact. And it's not just about making a dollar, it's about making it an impact on the communities they serve. So it's really, um, it's sort of like being, when you think of going to see a movie, you, a lot of times you don't see, you don't see everything behind the scenes. You don't see hands, you don't see people. Um, all the, the end of the movie, you see the hundreds of people that are, that put the movie together. All you see is the actors on the front, front of the stage. But really, as you develop your ability to earn more income, your power grows. And what I see, what I love about the title of your podcast, Catherine, is Social Workers Rise. And I have this, this, and when I looked at the demographics, just in the U.S., there's almost 700,000 social workers in the, in the U.S. And when I say, when I hear, when I hear you say social workers rise, it's almost like, okay, it's time for everybody to stand from, from where you're seating and, and go active, if you will, get into active duty. It's not that you're not already, but that whole idea of this is our time, this is our platform, this is our space, this is our microphone, let's go do this as a collective whole rather than one or two individuals. So I see your industry as especially being over 80% women, women in leadership, whether it's micro work, working one-on-one per with, with people, whether it's meso work, whether it's macro work, collectively you have the ability to be incredibly influential and not just in the day-to-day -day things that you do, but in the day-to-day -day ways that you spend your money. So um, I don't know, does that answer the question at all? <laughs> yeah, well, you hit on a couple different points. And um, one, you totally get me because that is exactly why I named the podcast social workers rise it's um like a call to action right, right. i i was um i've said many times i was about to quit social work and and then i started the podcast because i decided no this is um this is who i am this is what i identify as a career and i don't want to leave i want to start making changes if there's something wrong right. i want to make changes and i knew I know the power of social workers and they are the number one most untapped resource in advocacy that we have and in right. wellness and mental well-being in the United States. So what I'm hearing from you is 
if social workers, you know, they might be new and we might not have a lot of capital or money right now, but in the future, you know, it is one money is not evil. There is a lot of good that can be done with money, like um, angel investing, like you said, investing in companies that, um, that are doing well, that are acting responsibly and, and maybe trauma informed. Right. So, uh -huh. and then, and to do that, we're not going to just do that with one job, right? Like that's right. not how people get rich. <laughs> um, they don't right. just work a nine to five and that's it. They have investments. They diversify their portfolio. They take on extra work. So in addition, what I'm hearing too is there's work going on behind the scenes. So networking, starting to talk with other people outside of the industry of social work to really build those relationships and, and let them know what value we have, you know, what do we do, educate them on how we can help them as humans in their industry, because any industry is going to have most any industry is going to have, you know, customer relation problems. They're going to have mm -hmm. employee retention problems. They're going to have um, diversity issues. They're going to need mental wellness and, um, and a space to, you know, a safe space, right. To process trauma and to deal with their anger. So all of these are very human emotions that can be addressed in any industry and then starting to work behind the scenes and make those connections with people outside of social work. Mm -hmm. Hmm? Is that kind of a exactly. good summary? <laughs> yes. So, so to get there, there's a couple of organizations. I'm, I'm very new. This isn't something I've been doing for a long time. I've been doing some research on what kind of organizations in are already exist. And what I'm finding is that there are a, a, some, a growing number of organizations that are designed and built, designed by women, built for women that, that are extremely active in educating women about finance, about investments. Uh, there's one that fairly new startup um, in Singapore uh, with a founder named Tanya Rolf. She, is, she and some other female founders are running an organization called Sophia Women. Um, she, she and I have been chatting a bit and she wants to get involved in educating children about finance as well. And I thought, wow, that would be amazing to have that many more years, you know, if you educate the children and the parents about investing, it can impact them as it, to, you know, to intercept and terminate the cycles of trauma, because a lot of trauma comes from not having enough resources to do, to, to, um, to stabilize your, your family or your living situation. Another organization is Her CEO Journey with Christina Sjali. S-J-H-A-L-I, I think. Um, I've listened to several of her podcasts. She has some wonderful series that she's been running on what she calls patient capital, as in capital that isn't so aggressive and isn't so impatient um, that it demands everything right now. And what she's doing um, in a lot of different spaces, really um, what I see as social work, and then there's another organization here in the U.S. run by Sally Krawcheck called Elevest, an Elevate Network that does similar things in educating women on, um, on how to invest in financial strategies and all that. 
So then I said, okay, well, what's happening in the social work space? Is I, I might be creative, but I'm hardly ever original. <laughs> so I said, what's what's going on with social work and finance? And just to, what came up very quickly was something that's been going on since 2008 at the University of Maryland called the uh, the social work uh, what is it finances and social work initiative. Um, and I sent you the, the, the links on those, or I can send them to you if I haven't. Um, it's the Ma University of Maryland Financial Social Work Initiative. So um, that's been around for since 2008. I reached out to them recently because I just found them. I haven't, don't really have a whole lot of information on them, but obviously this isn't anything new. Um, and then another social worker friend that I have um, she sent me some information on the Center for Financial Social Work in North Carolina with founder Rita Wolfson. There's some overlap between that and the, what's happening in Maryland, because I believe Rita has also taught up at the University of Maryland in some of these classes, but it's really, there's a lot, it's, this is not a new thing. So what I would love to see, especially with an industry full that's, that's really women-led, is to intersect what's happening with organizations like Sophia and her CEO journey and, and Elevest with, um, with things that are happening with, with already with social work and see what, what kind of synergy they, there can be between the two. Yes, I love all these resources. Thank you so much. All of the links are in the show notes. And it's interesting that you mentioned the Center for Financial Social Work with Rita Wolfson, because she's actually going to be our next podcast episode after this one. So coming up uh, ne next funny. week, yeah, <laughs> next week, we'll have what Rita a great on here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was not planned. We are not sponsored. <laughs> hey, I'm all for, uh, I'm all for things coming together the way they're supposed to. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Adam. It was a great conversation with you. Is there anything that we, we didn't touch on that you feel it's important for social workers to know? Keep your head up, keep doing what you know, you know how to do. Um, and uh, don't ever think that what you're doing is not enormously, incredibly valuable because without that human connection, our society would fall apart. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Adam. Take care. All right. Thanks. You too. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Social Workers Rise. If you loved it, please open up your iTunes, tap the five stars, and leave a short note on why you love listening to the Social Workers Rise podcast. Also, if you want to share it on social media, I absolutely love it. You have me fangirling all over you. Take a screenshot and share it and tag me at Social Workers Rise on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, just want to leave a little bit of legal disclosure here that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in the Social Workers Rise podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done so at your own risk. This podcast should not be used in place of professional advice, therapy, or clinical supervision. And with that, my friends, I'll talk to you next week.